I'm Colleen Morey, and um, a title in terms of working with the uh, Foundation would be I founded and I'm the president of the Light and Life Foundation, which is a charitable nonprofit uh, organization that is, is was established to serve the orphaned, impoverished, and disabled children. Okay, Colleen, tell me how it all so, began for you. Okay, I um I was looking for a project with my um, high school at risk population. We had a local project identified and a regional project identified, and I was looking for a global project. These projects were in an effort to reconnect the children or the high school students, the youth, with community because they had felt very discarded themselves by community. And so this way they could make a difference and feel the value of being able to be change agents in their own community. Um, so I, uh, a friend of mine from my own high school years uh, was a flight attendant with American Airlines, and she had mentioned that she had heard about an orphanage from another one of the American Airlines representatives in Columbia, um, and that this orphanage was about four or five years old, and they had um, predominantly special needs kids in the orphanage that had been abandoned, and um, perhaps this would be you know, a project that we could get involved with. Mm-hmm. So just- Leanne is her name. Yeah, we, we ended up, I went, before I went down to Columbia, I went to my students and I told them that I was going to be going down and perhaps they might be interested in putting together um, some items that I might bring to the orphanage. And they, they they went crazy with it. It was wonderful. They got, you know, everything was pretty much secondhand, secondhand toys. Um, we didn't do a lot with clothing, but we knew that toys, because it was early December and we thought we could bring things down that would be Christmassy for yeah, them. Yeah, of course. So, um, so anyway, they collected a bunch of things, items of all sorts. And uh, Leanne and I flew down to Bogota and... Um, we went to the orphanage. Uh, we were connected with a woman who is an um, adoption coordinator, and her name is Helena, and she was very familiar with the orphanage founding and the history and the woman that founded it. So she brought us up to the orphanage. And we, as I, you know, set foot through the door of that orphanage, my life changed. I mean, it, it truly did. And I don't say that with dramatic exaggeration. I say it really changed. I had never seen children who were in such dire physical, cognitive, emotional conditions demonstrate such joy and happiness and compassion for one another. It was, uh, it was shocking to my senses, to be honest with you. The children didn't see themselves through the lens of disability they saw themselves as having capabilities and where they might be deficient in one area of life, they might be blind or deaf or unable to walk. They still had abilities that they could help someone who didn't have those same abilities. And it was astonishing to witness. Um, What was your initial thoughts when you walked through the door? I was just kind of, I was overwhelmed, to be honest with you. I, um, the children had all been gathered into a large room um, to meet the, you know, the Americans. <laughs> and uh, 
they were clapping and, you know, if they could, some, you know, some kids didn't have arms and some didn't have legs and some were blind, as I mentioned, and deaf and all kinds of things. Um, but those that, you know, could were clapping or they'd take one hand and slap their leg or a friend's mm-hmm. hand or whatever. Um, and then, you know, it melted my heart. I mean, I was welled up with tears. I, I couldn't believe as I said, I was expecting what you see in some of the commercials on televisions, both, Mm -hmm. I don't know about Ireland as much, but here in the United States where you see these very um, despondent children sitting, you know, in a a, a horrible environment that's filthy and flies flying around them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of scene is what I expected. I never expected to see this very fastidiously kept facility and it was small um that with children that were so happy and so engaging with one another and not in this poor old pitiful me uh you know persona that i expected to see and when you walked through Um, those doors uh colleen you never mm -hmm. looked back did you <laughs> no, I did not. All I could think of was all the things that we could do. It was like, oh my! So because they they didn't need, uh, it wasn't like I felt like I wanted to adopt them all. They were so happy there and so engaged with one another. But I could see that they needed things that we could provide for them. And the predominant things ended up being medical, you know, equipment, medical devices and educational equipment and supplies and that sort of thing. Um, I should mention the woman that started the whole or- thing, the orphanage, um, was originally from Spain. She was a nun. Uh, she was working and she was assigned to Colombia and working in the hospital for the blind, an institute for the blind down in Colombia. And um, over time, she saw she was distraught to see kids that were brought and never retrieved by parents or kids mm-hmm. that were abandoned and brought in to that facility. Um, and she also saw that there was a discrepancy in, in the equity of care for the kids, and it broke her heart, and she wanted to start a home for the kids. Mm-hmm. She approached her order, and the order said, you can't do both. You're going to have to make a choice, either stay with the order or go off on your own. So she contacted her brothers and sisters. She was one of 14 (laughs) brothers and sisters in Spain. Yeah. And at this time, I'll mention that she was 50 years old when this all took place. Um, She approached them and said that she was considering leaving her order and starting a home for the children. And her brothers and sisters gathered some money and uh, said, well, we'll help you. Maybe we can buy a used car or something for you. And she said, no, I don't need a car. I need a place to put them and the children. So she ended up buying a dirt floor garage up in the poorest neighborhood of Bogota, Colombia. It's just in the foothills of the Andes mountains. And she started with four blind children. Um, One of the children she had already adopted from the Institute for the blind. This child had been abandoned and um, was just a year and a half. And so she adopted her and um, she, um, you know, scr- scrambled around to find used, you know, discarded tires from trucks and cars. And she would wrap burlap sacks that she found around those to create beds for the children. 
I mean, this is desperate, desperate circumstances. And she was, you know, she bartered with some of the families in the neighborhood saying that she would take care of their children during the day while they worked. And then some of them who were um, craftsmen in different areas, plumbers or builders or electricians, would help her in getting the orphanage more up to speed with uh, the things that it needed to operate. Her big frustration was feeding the kids because she didn't know what to do with that. I mean, people were donating some food here and there, Mm -hmm. but she... She explained it to me that she said, one day I just had my angry prayer with God. And I said, you know, I love that you've given me this, these children. I love this home. I love the life that I have. And I am blessed by it. But I can't figure out what to do about the food. So I'm giving that back to you. <laughs> You'll have to figure it out. Yeah. And within a week, a farmer arrived on his way back from the market. He had products with him that he had not sold at the marketplace and he said somebody has told me that you could use some food is that the truth and she said yes and he left you know the product the produce and vegetable all all the stuff that didn't sell and um then he told his farmer friends and that became this she said she was never in need of food again that's incredible Um, it is incredible. And over time, what ended up happening is that um, they bought a farm. And the farm is about an hour and a half outside of Bogota. And the ch- children who are older and have exceeded their schooling years, and in Colombia, so you have to pay to go to public school. So uh, she couldn't afford to send the kids to high school and that sort of thing. So she, we bought this farm. We, our foundation helps to buy it and refurbished these outhouses into dormitories. And a group, quite a few of the kids ended up moving out to the farm because it's out in the countryside. It's up in the mountains. It's absolutely beautiful, lush, tropical environment. And everything grows there. So now, fast forward, 85% of the food that's needed at the orphanage is produced at our farm. That is amazing. She must have been such an yeah. inspiration for you, Colleen. Oh, she's unbelievable. And, and it's like she doesn't see obstacles. She doesn't see, she doesn't hear the word, no, that can't be done. You know, and um, we ended up helping support, fund a school, the building of a school that is basically kind of a reverse um, inclusion school. So it's designed really for the special needs kids, but because they have kids have to pay to go to public school in Columbia. We invited any of the kids in our local neighborhood to come to our school. We have about 400 kids that come to our school and um, they uh, get three meals while they're there and schooling for the day. And then they also learn sign language because that's part of our curriculum, (laughs) you know, and uh, they learn how to read Braille and all kinds of, so it's, you know, that's why I say reverse inclusion. It's not trying to, to include the special needs kids and make them fit into the puzzle of typical education. It's mm-hmm. the other way around. It's amazing, yeah. Colleen. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Do you mind me asking, what's your connection to Ken Mayer? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, no, that's fine. The, um, initially I went over to Ken Mayer. This was in the early nineties. I was married and I had a very unsettling divorce 
And uh, a friend of mine who was had grown up in Truly, I actually met her in the United States. She was in the States for about 10 years, I think. Um, and I met her there, you know, up in Connecticut. And uh, she said, oh, well, you've had such a, a challenging year. And um, why don't you come over to Ireland? And you've never been. And I think it would do you a world of good. She said, I'm going back to visit my family in August. And so I went for a couple weeks and fell in love with the country. That's what we want to hear. (laughs) I I fell in love with the countryside, with the people. I had never experienced that. I shouldn't say never. The experience I had of the people was the welcoming um, memories that I had of as a child here in the United States where people would stop by and they'd bring a pie over to you or, uh, you know, whatever. It, it was just that joyful kindred spirit that I had forgotten even existed, to be honest with you. My friend who had introduced me to Ireland had moved back to Ireland and she had married her now husband, Des, and they live in Truly. And, um, so I was staying with them, went to Khmer, had time to kill. I went into a realtor's office and I said, now I am not looking to buy. I just am curious and I have three hours <laughs> to kill. So I said, I just want to look around at what you've, you know, properties. And and they said, okay, fine. Here's a listing and here's a map. Have a nice day. And off I went and I came upon this property down the Sneem Road that was just about three miles out of Khmer town and, uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I, it was just about 600 meters up the hill, and it was two acres overlooking the Kenmare Bay. Wow. Stunning views, and it already had planning permission granted. As we wrap up, Colleen, would you have any advice for anyone in life? Because you've gone through so many experiences in, in, in your whole life so far, and I'm sure there's more to come. But what bit of advice would you give to, to someone? Oh, my. Um, I suppose there would be two things. And one would be to to be in today, mm-hmm. to be present with those you're present with today and not be regretting what you've done in the past or anxious about what's to come, but to, to be living your life focusing on what today presents for you and offers to you and opportunities or the challenges or the celebrations, whatever it might be, to focus on those and allow those to have their way today. Um, and and with that, I guess, is the second piece, which would be finding the goodness that you can in today. Mm-hmm. Every day was going to present us with challenges, and every day can present us with celebrations. And they're not always extreme in either end of the scale, but... Um, but there's always goodness to be found, and we don't always see it. We sometimes expect that to be in something big and a mountaintop experience. And sometimes we find the goodness even in the valleys of life. Mm-hmm. It could and, be even um, the goodness of having a cup of tea on your own at the end yeah. of the day. It could be being yep. able to, you know, have that ability to bring yourself to places. It's all the little things we take for granted, isn't it? It's the little things, yes, that we tend to like walk right by or oversee. And we get fin- can finish a day and go, well, that was just like a nothing day. Well, yeah. no, it wasn't because there was something that happened. And and I will just say that that I, I it took me a long time to learn that myself. I will say that the 
uh, I cared for my mom who got dementia after uh, surgery. Uh, we think it was some kind of conflict with anesthesia or oxygen. We'll never know. We don't need to know. But the last two years of her life, she lived with me and um, I was her caregiver. And that caring for her with her condition of cognitive challenge and dementia was what forced me because there was a lot of challenges you know there's Mm. suddenly she couldn't swallow she needed diapers she couldn't do this she couldn't do that and and I was initially very frustrated and think feeling overwhelmed but that was because I kept looking at what needed to happen what was next what was next instead of just being present with her Mm -hmm. in the day in the moment and finding the little small joys that each day has to offer and you don't necessarily find them in the mountaintops. 